Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, good morning to those who are here in the building, of course, and also to those who are with us online. It's a real privilege for me to be addressing you this morning. I haven't spoken in this morning's service yet, so I should perhaps say a little bit more about myself. Until last year, I was a vicar uh, in a church uh, down in Portsmouth on the south coast. In fact, the very church where Adam has just been appointed and started as my successor. So I want to thank you very much at St. Paul's for preparing him for such a difficult and challenging position. Rachel and I moved to Leamington Spa uh, about a year ago and joined the evening congregation here. And we've been really war warmly welcomed at St. Paul, so thank you. Um, my new job is patronage secretary for CPAS. It was lovely to see the CPAS icon um, logo on your, uh, on your board just earlier as we were praying. Thank you for your prayers for us, your partnership with us. Um, my job as patronage secretary and specifically as patron of uh, St. Paul's um, is to support you both through your ministry as it goes on um, to bring the resources of CPAS to bear where we can um, and also um, should it uh, happen at some point that, um, that uh, uh, your esteemed vicar um, has to retire through injury um, or, uh, or he's appointed as the next um, bishop of, ooh, let's say, the Arctic, um, then, uh, then it would be my job to uh, join with your PCC to, uh, to seek for your next vicar. Uh, but that's all a long time in the future, I'm sure. Meanwhile, it's such a delight to sit under Jonathan's teaching. Um, the last time that happened was long, long ago when we were both at university together, and I remember very clearly uh, Jonathan coming to offer me a word of encouragement just before my final exams. He said, Michael, I've got a scripture for you from the Lord. It's this, from Jeremiah. Disaster upon disaster, behold it comes. Thank you, Jonathan. Enough looking back. Let's look forwards. It's Advent. From the Latin, to approach, to come to, to arrive. For Christians, Advent is in effect our new year. It's the time when we open our hearts once again for the coming of God in Jesus. So from our first reading, Isaiah 40 verse 3. A voice is calling. In the desert prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the wilderness a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places are plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all mankind together will see it. So, you're in a far-flung part of the Persian Empire, and you've just heard news that the king himself is coming to pay you a visit. Incredible! Better get the place ready, spruce up the city, plant some gardens, Paint the houses, repair the pavements, give everyone a new suit of clothes so that they're looking happy and clean to welcome the most powerful man in the world. But how will he get to you? There are no motorways, so quickly build a highway across the wilderness. With embankments, every valley shall be raised up. With cuttings, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground and the rugged places smoothed out for the wheels of his carriage, and how fantastic when the glory of the king 
is revealed. Well, that's our first Advent theme, and the one that we like the best, isn't it? Getting ready. It wasn't just the Persian king or the Roman emperor coming to Bethlehem, but the king of all kings and the Lord of all lords. His ambassadors and engineers were out in advance, building expectation, making peace across the Roman world, building physical and emotional roads for the gospel to advance across, preparing the way. But God's people had to play their part too, praying, repenting, seeking justice, preparing the way from their end. So let's just imagine, Jonathan has suddenly received an email or a, perhaps a, a cream envelope with embossed logo on the back. The Queen herself has decided to come to St. Paul's next Sunday for a visit. Can you imagine? A lot of people would suddenly be saying to Jonathan, well, we've got to do something about those cables and that paintwork that we've been neglecting and uh, the garden outside. And, uh, um, well, at least we can be confident that our, toilet, our ladies' toilets are the best church toilets in the country. I've got my uh, wife's opinion on that to rely on. But there would still be a lot of tidying up, wouldn't there? A lot of hoovering. No, you can't use the toilet. I've just cleaned it for the Queen. Now, I've heard dreadful stories about visits by the Queen. I've heard of a bank or a shopping centre spending millions on a new facade and a huge carpeted staircase for her to ascend. No one must use it before she does, so it's pristine. Well, fair enough, very fitting. But then when she's gone, well, the facade and the stairway are torn down and thrown away. Much too grand for us to use. Imagine if that was what we did to prepare for her visit. Brushed embarrassing people out of the way, then uh, put up a facade and carpeted the floor again, and then threw it all away after she'd gone. So the whole lavish show was only to impress. No lasting value to anybody. An utter waste of money. But it's not just the queen who's coming to visit. It's the supreme ruler of the world and the Lord of our hearts. And it's not our walls and our toilets that he's most interested in. We need to prepare ourselves, our families, our fellowship to celebrate his coming with fitting joy. My grandmother celebrated 11 Christmases, I think it was, through the years of the two world wars. And she related how they would save tiny bits of their meager weekly rations, a bit of sugar here, a bit of flour there, a bit of fruit, so that they could bake uh, Christmas puddings and cakes and celebrate Christmas in style and with joy. But it wasn't the Christmas pudding which was so important. It was the family joy which was the key. It may be that this Christmas will be unlike any that we've ever experienced. Yet it surely isn't about whether we can celebrate in the usual way, but whether we can truly celebrate in our hearts. So don't let's get distracted with the externals of our Christmas celebrations, tinsel and baubles and trees and expensive presents. 
and whether or not the government ought to have allowed us to share our lavish cooking or even a hug with some more bits of our extended families. Whatever the, the newspapers might say, Christmas has not been cancelled. It can't be cancelled. Nothing, not the government, not even COVID-19, can prevent the arrival of the king. The heart of the Christmas celebration is a faith renewed, of relationships enriched, and our hearts filled with humility and generosity and joy. For the king of kings came not just to be fated by the Bethlehemites, but to rebuild his world. The Lord of Lords comes into our lives afresh at Christmas to leave a lasting legacy of salvation, which is the second Advent theme, hope, a big hope, big enough for all the problems of our nations. Verses 1 to 2, comfort, comfort my people, says, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her prison sentence has been completed. It's a big hope, big enough even for the politics of the Middle East, for disasters in Turkey for, and the Philippines and in Antarctica, big enough for the United States and for our place in or out of Europe, big enough even for the COVID-19 pandemic and its impact on our physical, social and financial future. And it's also a personal hope, unlocking our own individual troubles. Verse 11, he tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that are with young. When the emperor came, the citizens knew that he would solve their international problems and defeat their enemies. That's why the disciples got so confused. They were expecting Jesus to sort out their most obvious enemy, the Romans. They didn't realize he'd come to fight a far greater, more personal enemy, of whom the Romans were merely the most recently hired servants. He came to destroy the power of sin and death alienation from God and all the misery and wretchedness that these things bring so that he could create a new world of love and joy and peace. As Jesus said, quoting Isaiah 61, he has come to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from solitary confinement in the dark, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour, to comfort all who mourn, giving them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. Christ comes to do all these things for us. Every time we gather in his name, he is here amongst us by his spirit. Are you brokenhearted, sitting in the darkness of grief or despair? He comes to you to bring light, shining in the darkness of grief, gently binding up your emo emotions 
and giving you strength again? Are you bound in bad habits and can't break out? Or in tier three fear of COVID-19? He comes with the key to open that huge door with its great chains and bars and padlocks. Has everything turned to ashes around you? Do you look at yourself in the mirror and wonder what anyone could see in you? He brings you his crown of beauty, his beautiful wedding dress of praise. He picks you up and carries you close to his heart. As a shepherd, his lamb. As a mother, her beautiful new baby. If any of these things sound like you, then please, as Jonathan said earlier, connect into the Zoom um, uh, session with, uh, with the prayer ministry team. And I know that people would love to pray with you. Maybe some of you have been waiting a very long time to know the reality of these words. Well, that is the third Advent theme, waiting. The Jews waited for centuries for their Messiah to come, and then they didn't recognize him when he did. Mary had to wait for nine months, carrying that hope within her. Simeon and Anna waited for decades to see the hope of Israel. On Easter Sunday, on Easter Saturday, the disciples waited in grief, not knowing that resurrection was just one sleep away. And after the ascension, they waited with joy for the Spirit to come in a way they could never have expected to begin their new phase of ministry. Well, we wait for Jesus to come into our hearts afresh, to bring us comfort and to empower us to serve him. We wait, heartsick perhaps, but with hope. We groan that our hope is so long in coming, but we know that it will come at exactly the right time. As the psalmist said, weeping may linger for the night, but joy comes with the morning. However, there is also a fourth theme to Advent, and we find it in verse 10, judgment. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power, and his arm rules for him. See, his reward is with him, and his recompense accompanies him. The king's arrival will also be a day of reckoning. The sword of the king is double-edged. He comes to defend, but also to punish, to reward the faithful, and to pay back the rebels. There is so much about this in the Bible. Jesus' whole last block of teaching in Matthew's Gospel is around this judgment. The parables of the fig tree, the two sons, the laborers in the vineyard, the wedding invitations, the wise and the foolish virgins, they all point to the same thing. The moment arrives. Some are ready and some are not. Some are faithfully holding on and waiting. Some are anything but. I do wonder if Donald Trump has held so tenaciously onto, offer, onto office, sorry, not just through some kind of self-delusion, but also because he senses that the end of his tenure 
is going to usher in the judgment of history on how faithfully he has kept to his oaths and, and will bring in his own accountability before the Supreme Court and even the judgment throne for his actions. God has entrusted his gospel to us. He's given to each of us a life to live for him. He's been away, but he's coming back. Are we taking his homecoming seriously? Or are we just frittering the time away? Are we giving it everything we've got? Or are we hoping the problem will go away? Yet in the end, the audit will not be about what we achieved, but about how much we loved him, how much we trust Jesus, and how much we passed on his love to others. So, here we are in Advent, waiting patiently for our hope to come, getting ready to celebrate and speed that coming, and preparing our accounts for a very public audit. Well, at the end of the service, I've asked that uh, we should hear, um, we would finish by playing a piece of very English Advent music taken from Handel's Messiah. The, word come, the words come from Isaiah 40, verse 5, uh, that we heard read. The verse that we started with. In Advent, we're preparing for the coming of God. He has come, he is here, and he will come again. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. Thus says the Lord. And so I'm going to finish with the Anglican prayer for today. Heavenly Father, who sent your Son to redeem the world and will send him again to be our judge, give us grace so to imitate him in the humility, purity, and compassion of his first coming, that when he comes again, we may be found ready to greet him with joyful love and steadfast faith through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. And so we come to our last song, which tells his story. That whole story through from the squalor of the borrowed stable to his glory on the highest throne. So let's, here in the building, stand and you at home were relying on you because we can only hum to sing out these words with joy. <laughs>